Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you all for listening. Um, so that uh, last week marked the end of uh, my impromptu series about war. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Talked about Hacksaw Ridge, a film that I think is now available on Blu-ray. I'm not sure, actually, but uh, but seek it out. It's a movie that is not necessarily great, but is definitely uh, quite stirring. Uh, now, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to... Uh, make some announcements. So by the time this posts, you have two more days to contribute to my Kickstarter for uh, the book that I'm putting out worth watching. Now, as of the day of recording, we're at, I think, 175% funded. So we're going to be fine. Um, but here's actually what I'm what I'm planning on. Uh, if we can get up to 200% uh, funded, which is to say if we can get to $2,000, the original goal was $1,000, but if we can get up to two, um, then I'm actually going to take, uh, two or $300 and, uh, and have somebody put together, uh, just a very simple website. Um, I was at WonderCon and I actually went to a panel called getting your book into the hands of your readers. And, uh, while they were talking mostly about comic books, one of the things that they said was, even if you yourself have a website, um, that you should, you should invest in a website for the product itself. So that is what I'm going to do, provided of course, that we get, uh, to this 200% goal. So I just want to let everybody know that, that if you're, if you're, thinking about contributing and you haven't yet, you have two days left. Uh, the 15th is when uh, this campaign is over and I wanted to let you know where that money is going to go. So, um, and then as far as what's on the website right now, there is a, an article written by Esther O'Reilly about, uh, the movie Logan, uh, came out at this point, I think about a month and a half ago. Uh, but, uh, she, uh, has some thoughts and I think they're actually quite interesting. And this might be interesting to, uh, to my co-host, uh, our writer, Bob Connolly wrote an article about, uh, baseball, um, like the sport of baseball, which my first thought was that is not interesting to me. Um, but he also related it to the, the inherent drama of a baseball game. So the title of that article is uh, a drama in nine acts. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting. Um, and then I wanted to direct everybody towards uh, Thimble Rig's arc. Um, Nate has a new episode that he released at the beginning of the month in which he talks about the upcoming Christian films, uh, one of which, The Case for Christ, is, is what we're going to be talking about today. So, uh, But I think all the other movies come out later on in the year. Uh, and then lastly, um, I talked about this uh, last week, and it, it's going to be uh, ongoing. Uh, Digicycle Me. I believe that is once again how I say it. The guy confirmed. Digicycle Me uh, is committed to helping churches develop and implement strategies to increase discipleship and experience community growth. Uh, they help you determine your target audience and then equip you with the tools and content needed to reach that audience. So, uh, so the guy that I'm that I'm uh, talking to the 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 owner and operator of uh, Digicycle Me. His name is Jeff, and he has actually been. Uh, working with me both for more than one lesson and for Battleship Pretension to raise our uh, social media profile. And it has uh, already helped tremendously. Um, he definitely has strategies laid out that uh, don't really occur to me. And so it's been, um, 
it's been very helpful. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to check them out. So you can go to digicycle.me. That's D-I-G-I-S-C-I-P-L-E dot M-E. Or you can just click on the graphic at morethanonelesson.com. It'll be on the side of the page. So, okay. Uh, I think that is it for announcements. I wanted to uh, welcome in. We're t- hey, look, we're talking about a Christian film today. And so there's only one person that I would ever dream of talking about Christian film with. And that is my long suffering co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> no, I said long, su- long suffering, not Josh sad long sack. suffering. Jo- uh, yeah, there you go. It's right there in the name. It, but when you put it that way. It does sound like a like my particular like brand of, of suffering. Oh, okay. Well, I was, well, I guess <laughs> I guess Josh Long suffering is what everybody else is doing. Everybody mm-hmm. else that knows you, true. Be like, oh, I'm Josh, I'm Josh Long suffering. <laughs> but I was going to say it sounds like a Game of Thrones character. Um, yeah, Josh, not so much, but uh, you know, not, not Henry Long suffering or something like that. Yeah, or like Torvo. I don't know. They all have first names that sound something like that. Torvo Long suffering. Grimston. I've only seen the first episode, so I Brosvard. It's all, it's all sounds like that. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I forget. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, that's right. You don't watch a lot of TV drama. No, I don't. Because you just don't want to confront certain emotions inside you. Because I get bored real fast. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, you think, all right, he cooks meth. Got it. What else happens? You're like, okay, yeah, this guy wants to be the president. All right. This guy works at an advertising agency. This guy's part of the mob. I get it. It's all basically the same. Yeah. And look at this place over here. Everyone knows your name. Where are the dinosaurs? Are you asking where the dinosaurs are? <laughs> yeah. Do you want dinosaurs? If it's all- drama, it should have dinosaurs in it. If it's comedy, it doesn't matter. But drama, get some, <laughs> get some dinosaurs in there, you know? Now, the movie, you know what dino- I'm the movie dino- the, the show Dinosaurs from when we were kids. You yeah, remember that's that? perfect. Absolutely. That's comedy and that, dinosaurs. Oh, I was going to say that hard-hitting drama, oh. uh, which has... Do you remember the finale of Dinosaurs? I don't. Yeah, basically, the uh, comet hits Earth and they all oh, die. Really? <laughs> oh, well. I do appreciate their commitment yeah. to that. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, that was a weird show. That was a weird show. I kind of want to go back and watch some of that now. That should be on Netflix, shouldn't it? It it's, does seem I don't think like it, is, it should be. But yeah. if it was, man, everybody would be watching that. It's one that was something of a phenomenon, not unlike ALF, but I feel like ALF has actually sort of transcended the time period and mm-hmm. it's a reference people know. Yeah. Dinosaur is not so much, but it's, and it might've been that just for people, I'd say our age, it mm-hmm. was like the perfect show. Like, oh, it's these weird creatures and the little baby saying like, not the mama and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, but it, I don't know if if it would hold up at all. Yeah. It might be absolutely insufferable. I mean, it was really strange then. Yeah. Um, but it's still pretty strange. Yeah. Something to look into. Listeners, if you've watched <laughs> Dinosaurs recently, uh, in the comment section, please let us know if it is worth watching at all. Um, anyway. So, uh, okay. We all know why we're here. We're here to talk about... John Gunn's The Case for Christ. John Gunn's Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Written by Brian Bird. <laughs> um, so, like so many, and I, at this point I've written a, uh, I've written a, a review at BattleshipPretension.com. I've posted on Twitter. I've posted on Facebook. People know that I actually like this movie. I wouldn't say quite a bit, but given the, given the genre we're talking about, I'll say quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so, but I will say that like so many other people and like myself, uh, going into the film, I just thought, all right, here we go. Pure flicks movie, pre-existing property. This doesn't look that promising. And then I thought like, well, it's got some actors in it. It's got, you got your Faye Dunaway and your Robert Forrester. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but they, you know, they're not in their, hay- their heyday. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I will go ahead and, and I, I got an, uh, an online screener of it. The, the Pure Flix was nice enough to provide me with one. And um, I'll be honest, I was, I started working while I was watching it. Like I, sorry, I threw it on while I was working and I just thought like, okay, well, I'll get some work done while this is playing. About seven minutes in, maybe about 10, I realized that I was invested in what was happening and I decided I'm going to stop working. Now, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to tell everybody that sometimes that's how I will watch a movie <laughs> uh, because the work that I'm doing requires very little investment in the work. So I've, I've watched a number of TV shows and movies that way. But um, but in this case not unlike bone tomahawk uh, <laughs> which you know these films are just uh, so similar in so many ways um i thought i'm actually invested in this movie it feels real it feels like a real movie and so while it probably is not remarkably visually dynamic i owe it my attention like my full attention so mm-hmm. i stopped working and then watched the rest of the movie just it was on my computer screen, but I was watching it, you know, looking for everything that a movie is, not merely character dialogue and that sort of thing, but also seeing how does this movie look? How does it, how is it lit? How is it shot? How is it cut together? And so it's a film that within a few minutes started winning me over. And as the film, as the story unfolded, um, you know, it, it falls into a couple of standard Christian movie traps, but I was actually surprised how often it didn't, hmm. um, at least in my opinion. And so by the end of the film, I found myself thinking like, this has surprised me. So I think on Letterboxd, I wound up giving it three and a half out of five stars. That might be a little bit generous, if I'm being honest. It might be closer to three. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I was engaged. I was I was invested in the characters, and I will also go ahead and say that, as, from a Christian standpoint, I was a little bit uh, encouraged and a bit challenged in certain ways uh, that I'll talk about a little bit later. And I came away from the film. We'll, we'll, t- I'll, we'll talk more about in the the specifics, but I came away thinking like, "Wow, Case for Christ is surprisingly good," and I and I want more Christians to see it. Um, Hmm. you know, so many Christians take that attitude of like, oh, there's a new God's not dead or there's a new Alex Kendrick movie. Like we should see this movie and support it. And I, I don't really like that attitude, but in this case, like, no, no, this is the one you should see. So Mm -hmm. they know to make more of it. Um, unfortunately it looks like it's not doing particularly well at the box office, which is infuriating to me because just like, this is a good one. Do, is it because people heard it? They, they like, Oh, I've read the book. I don't need to see the movie. Maybe it's something as asinine as that, but Maybe. it's, uh, it's very frustrating to me. Um, yeah. I don't know why that would be made. Do you know anything about the push from pure flicks? Like the marketing thing? There's a big push. Yeah. And I mean, and it's in a lot of theaters, like really? it's in a few theaters around me. 
Hmm. You know, you and I, so we, I live in North Hills, you live in Van Nuys. We're very close to a, a, a theater on Van Nuys um, called The Plant 16. You and I have seen, I think, one or two Christian films there. Hmm. Um, that that theater always gets bigger Christian movies. And unsurprisingly, they're, they're playing The Case for Christ. But there are other regions, that's a Regency theater. There are other Regency theaters in my area. There's one in Granada Hills. There's one in Northridge that are also playing this film. Like it hmm. got a big push as far as theaters. And then if you look at the, and then it, the trailers were getting shared around quite a bit. And then on the, uh, on the Pure Flix website and streaming service, they were pushing it uh, a lot as well. And so, hmm. you know, it's hard to know exactly how much play something is getting, but, uh, but yeah, I think they were really in, I think Pure Flix was genuinely invested in getting this movie out to people hmm. and people for whatever reason, not unlike Woodlawn, not unlike, certainly not unlike, believe me, hmm. um, people just were not interested. And I just find myself wondering, like, maybe this is something I can ask people in May at the International Christian Film Festival. Like, wh- what are you looking for yeah. at this point? Um, but hmm. I probably won't say it quite with that tone because people <laughs> might not want to answer me. Um, if you sound a little violent and demanding, then they have to listen to you, right? I think so. Yeah, there you, you know, go. They know you mean business. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, and like I said, I'll talk more about what I like specifically about the movie in a moment. But, uh, but Josh, your thoughts about your, in general, your expectation going in and then your general reaction. Um, I feel like it slightly exceeded expectations after having seen the trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I heard that they were making it and and that it was pure flicks, I thought this probably is going to be pretty cheesy and not very good. And and I saw the trailer and then from the trailer, I said, that actually doesn't look as bad as I thought it might be. And and then it kind of wasn't. And I think it was maybe even a little bit better. And I did feel the same thing. Like you said, you know, I felt invested in it more than I was kind of expecting to be. Yeah. Um, which is good. Uh, I, I don't, I don't love some of the, um, I think some of the relationship stuff starts to get a little repetitive at a point. I could see that. Um, so I, I feel like there are moments when I lose interest a little bit later on in the film. Um, but one thing that was good about it too is that it's uh, we've talked before about how there are sometimes films that seem to be wanting to present a bunch of Christian ideas or or facts about Christianity and seem like they would be better served to just make a documentary about right whatever issue it is like the half documentary saving Christmas thing yeah um but this one doesn't really feel like that. It kind of feels like the uh, the arguments for the, the the pro-Christianity arguments seem pretty seamlessly interwoven and uh, presented in like a way that I think adds to the story and is is digestible. So I feel like that's a good. That's like a step in the right direction for these types of movies. I think it's a huge step in the right direction, to be honest. I mean, you know, one of our big complaints about God's Not Dead was that it just, it wanted to incorporate apologetics, but not really devote any time to it, maybe because they thought it was boring or just whatever. 
but by not unlike Risen, which is a film we both thought was pretty good, you have a character who is investigating something. If you do that, then every fact he learns, every every expert he talks to, it's it is a genuine and organic part of the story. And then in this case, it's not a guy who just decides, oh, I'm going to look into this. He is trying to make sense of this for the sake of his rela- of his marriage. Yeah. And so every, everything get, that gets him closer to uh, a faith in Jesus or even a- acknowledging the existence of God um, is something that like could possibly get him closer to his wife. Um, and just the, the juggling of that, it is... There, there are a lot of plates that need to be spinning, and if this film were just a little bit worse, then every time he goes to talk to an expert, I would have rolled my eyes. Yeah. But I didn't. No, and it feels it feels natural. If the progression feels natural, the characters feel real, the ones that he's talking to. Yeah. The only time I feel like I had a problem with one is, it, I think, when he talks to the the doctor guy, you know, the, the medical expert. Yeah. Yeah. That one. The only thing I didn't like about that one is he flies to California to talk with this guy. And then this guy's like, sorry, I felt like we had to do this in person. But then the whole time he's like looking in microscopes, he's like yeah. walking around his lab. Like I, I, I'm very busy with this, but you can chat to me a little bit. And it's yeah. not like, you know, it's not SVU. It, boy, it's the first place my mind goes. <laughs> um, it's uh that, yeah, it's that idea of, I think a comedian, John Mulaney, who has talked at length about law and order <laughs> just says that, that these guys can, that anytime the police go talk to somebody, that person will not stop doing his job. <laughs> like, it's like, Hey, I got to unload these boxes, you know, but I'll answer your questions, but I will not stop doing what I'm doing for a moment. Um, and yeah, and I, I guess I understand from a practical standpoint why they're doing that. Like he's already talking to people in offices. So yeah. It's like, well, now we're in a lab. And so to have a guy that is interacting with lab equipment, it's like, okay, that's fine. But yeah, in this case, it's, and I think the performance of the guy playing the doctor is, is idiosyncratic, but in a way that I really like. Yeah. He seemed a very, like a very specific type of person. Yeah, he did. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it makes the, the law and order. See, now I think of law and order plain. Uh, as some would say, whereas you think, as you think of uh, SVU first, Mm. but, uh, either way, it's nice to know the formula sticks around, (laughs) which is no one will stop doing their job. Um, and so, which makes, I forget, do you, have you watched community? Have you watched some community or or very little? I think I've seen all the, except for the Yahoo stuff. Okay. Like most Uh, of the world, which is on Hulu now, by the way. Really? Uh, weird, but they did a law and order episode and it was delightful how spot on they were i must have seen it It, yeah it's great specifically like when they're talking to experts and stuff and the actors playing the experts well they're just students from and faculty that we've seen in greendale before but you see the actors modulating the tone of their performances to be more like those characters from (laughs) law and order and it is spot on that's funny um anyway uh so yeah um and I think honestly, on top of of 
Lee Strobel trying to reconcile with his wife, trying to get to the bottom of, you know, the Christian faith as a, as a, an historical idea. He is also working on, working on this other case, a very specific odd case of this cop who seems to have been shot, uh, or who has been shot. Um, and it would appear he was shot by this, this African-American guy who is not remarkably uh, trustworthy and it seems like, oh, this guy might have been an informant. And so he's he's investigating that. And I remember thinking like, okay, the way they tie this in might wind up being a little bit clunky. But up until then, I do like that this is another part of Lee Strobel's life that he mm-hmm. just... I think it adds to the stress of the character mm-hmm. that he just... He has to keep moving. And I think it speaks to the urgency with which he approaches the search, uh, the, his investigation into religion, because he could be spending time like actively being with his wife, or he's got this case that he's trying to break as an investigative journalist. Mm. And yet he's devoting time to this other thing because it just is nagging at him. He can't leave it alone. And so by incorporating all of these things, I feel like it just, I can't put my finger on it, but it all, it works very well for me. It just seems like, in a way, it just, it, it kind of mimics what life seems like to me sometimes. Like Mm. I will often have many things going at once. Mm -hmm. And if somebody were to make a movie of my life, I feel like they would probably say like, okay, a solid three of these things need to go because we have to simplify this stuff. Mm -hmm. And by... By not doing that, by having three major story threads, one of them obviously a little bit lesser as far as screen time, but by having these three major story threads, I feel like it doesn't give us time to dwell on what might be some of the flaws in the storytelling because it's on to the next thing. Hmm. Whereas stuff like God's Not Dead, well, there are a lot of story threads there, but spread over several characters. Yeah. And so it's just like, okay, well, this entire character and story thread I don't care about. So every time it's on screen, I'm in a state of sadness and uh, <laughs> anger. Um, so, but yeah, the the incorporation of the investigation and how organic it feels, I think is one of the big wins that this movie has yeah and i think thematically the fact that it points to uh it points him into a position where he has to kind of question his own uh how sure he is about things right because he's very sure about this case at first and then new evidence comes to light and he has to question the fact that he was so sure about it before yeah and uh yeah, I think dramatically that is a good uh, a good thing to connect to them to the main story, and also I think um, it, it works not as just like a just as, as simply a metaphor. It I think it actually changes something in the character a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a char- I'd say this is a character piece. Like I do, I thought that it it was possible that the Strobel character was just going to be like our entry point into hearing all of these facts. Like, yeah, like in citizen Kane, there's the character Thompson. Who's the reporter asking all the questions. He's a non-character. He doesn't even exist. He's just there so that, you know, to ask questions on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that might be what Strobel is, but it absolutely is not like he's a full fledged character. Um, he, he reacts to the things that he's hearing and he takes them in. And 
what I, the, I think the thing that for me keeps the relationship stuff from getting repetitive and it does get a little bit, but, but from getting fully boring, repetitive is that his level of frustration. And I would venture to say resistance goes up and up. Like things get worse mm. precisely because he's being shaken more and more. And while after a while you can get tired of like, okay, they're having the same argument. Like he seems to get a little bit more vehement mm -hmm. in his resistance to her. Like he is taking his, his frustration out with the larger questions out on her. And it's something that, uh, that is, that is difficult to watch. And I will say that, uh, to me, I, one of the big wins for the film, as I said, is the way it incorporates the investigation. For me, the other giant win is how organic their relationship feels, specifically their fights. Hmm. We have talked about Fireproof. We have talked about Woodlawn. Uh, sorry, not Woodlawn. Uh, War Room. Mm -hmm. Movies where, and, and um, Courageous, movies where married couples are are having these these fights and they're meant to be these big dramatic fights and they feel so safe mm -hmm. and so sanitized you know i'm married you're married i've had arguments with my wife you've had arguments with yours never when i watch fireproof or or war room do i see i don't see any of me and my wife or our or our arguments um in those fights mm -hmm. whereas the arguments in, in the case for Christ, they seem very real. They do if, seem very real. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, <laughs> but, in, but they should be. Yeah. You know, and even there, there's, I think we feel like a lot of times they choose to make, uh, to make those arguments happen in, in a not obvious way. Right. And some of them are not that it's necessarily bad, but you know, like an obvious one is he comes home and he's drunk and she's angry. Sure. And it's a, still a good, you know, the dialogue is good in there and it's, it's well acted and well played out. Um, but the one that makes me, th I think of the most is when they, they come back from kind of having like a date night yeah. And it feels like everything is okay. And so like now that they f sort of feel like they're on this safe ground, they start to sort of talk a little bit more about where they're at with the, with the, with her becoming more of a, more of a Christian and him not being okay with that. And it just kind of falls apart again. And, and that, that feels so real. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's not a, uh, I feel like that's a scene you don't see that often. And it, it does yeah. feel very organic and very real. And it was interesting. I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> Jen and I have had times where we spend a day together and things are going very well. And then in like the home stretch, like the last 15 minutes of like hanging out that day, somebody says something that hits the other person wrong. <laughs> and now the day is basically ruined. <laughs> it's not really obviously, but like, it feels ruined in that moment and it feels it's all the more angering because, Oh, we had such a good day. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they're on this date and things are for us as well. The viewers, it feels like things are finally starting to go back together. And then for them to, as you say, fall apart again, it, it is really it, that level of, a, of attention paid to the way people interact that so few Christian films have. 
uh, is is something that I think is what uh, what caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every pretty much every interaction that he has with his wife throughout this film, I found I it might be dramatic to say riveting, but I am paying close attention because and and honestly, because of the movies that we've watched before, I'm paying close attention. I am looking for cracks. I'm looking for scenes Mm -hmm. and I'm not really finding any. They are well-written and I think very well acted. Mm -hmm. Um, and if this is a film that's going to be just as much about this relationship as it is about his investigation, and I think it is, and I think that's another good thing about the film, then that part needs to ring particularly true emotionally. Hmm. Um, the other part should try to ring true intellectually. And I know that any number of people would say that it doesn't, at least not for them, but this film has an intellectual side and an emotional side. And I think by having the two play into one another and by putting the effort into making each organic and real and lived in, I feel like that's what puts this, this film far above, uh, movies like God's not dead. Um, when I think of what they didn't, okay, well, they didn't need to do any of this. You know what I mean? Like the Christian audience, well, again, they, while they did not necessarily turn out for the film, but the Christian audience would have accepted a movie half as good. Oh yeah. But they put in the extra effort to make sure that this really resonated. Mm-hmm. And so, and we'll talk about some of the characters and the, and the acting in a moment, but it does lead to a question that might, might be better for the end of the episode, but I feel like asking it now. Coming away from the film, I felt conflicted, as I sort of did with Risen to a point, um, in that I would like to know what non-Christians think of this film. Mm-hmm. War Room, they're not going to like it. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, God's not dead. They're going to hate it. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Risen, it did have some third act issues, which kept me from fully saying like, oh, you should check this out. Case for Christ is maybe the first one aside from Believe Me, but that's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first one that makes me want to say like, okay, non-Christian listeners, go see this movie because I desperately need to know what you think. Um I, I have no expectation that you're going to be won over by the film, but maybe like mm-hmm. maybe you will look at some of the stuff put out there and then you'll look into it yourself yeah. and then you decide, you know, you're, you're in favor of it. You're not in favor of it. You're convinced you're not whatever, but I want to know how compelling this is for mm-hmm. non-Christians because as a Christian, I found it very compelling, but then it might only be, com- for me, it might only be compelling because of what it, so many of the pitfalls that it avoids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to know. Like it, it was very difficult for me to remove, uh, remove myself from the watching of this movie. Yeah. It's always hard to do with something like this. And especially when, uh, you know, all of the, for me, at least all of the arguments that he's hearing from these people, I, you know, I'm already familiar with right. the case for Christ stuff. Cause obviously the book's been around since the seventies yeah. or whenever. So, um, so I've heard most of this all before. Yeah. Um, I think it's the way it's put together is well put together because you kind of see the, the process of the, of the investigation that he's doing and each, yeah. each thing sort of kind of builds on each other. I think it's the structure of the book, which I've never, I've never actually read the book. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, putting it together that way, I think is effective because each new big question he has, it kind of goes to a point to address that. So, um, so yeah, like I said, I, I already know a lot of this information, but I think it's, it's presented in a, in an effective way and they're good arguments. And, and I, I would similarly be interested to hear whether, uh, uh, non-Christian listeners found it at all interesting or it made them want to look into it more. I would hope it does. Um, yeah. And I think the question for me is, and I was talking about this on uh, BP recently, that there are plenty of movies that that are narratives, not merely documentaries. There are plenty of movies that make arguments that people might not agree with. You know, the companion film for God's Not Dead was JFK, which I was just like, oh, I wish that had been the companion film for this movie. Because you have <laughs> you have a lot of theories being put out there. You have a main character talking to a lot of different people and coming away with, with this information. Do I believe it? Maybe some. Probably not most. Oliver Stone certainly believes it. And eventually the main character believes it. But that's the thing is, I can appreciate the film, even if I rejected all that stuff completely, I can still appreciate the artistry of the film and I can still appreciate the character moments of the film. And along those lines, I do, I'm curious to know if, if, uh, if a non-Christian viewer were to watch this movie, would they be, would they feel as compelled by the character stuff, given that the film is trying to to put messages, put a message out there and have you really contend with that. Um, I don't know. It really, a movie like this is difficult to talk about, is difficult to classify. Um, you know, I, I put out on Facebook that I, that I thought it was worth watching and, and, um, and a couple people said like, well, what if I really didn't like the book? And I said like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like a, a non-Christian said like, well, what if I didn't like the book? It's like, I really don't know. And then someone else said, someone like from school said, it, would it be, is it worth watching if you're not a Christian? And I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I, I can say that it's better than most of these. And I think that the characters and relationships are compelling mm-hmm. and it is getting pretty good reviews elsewhere. I believe variety gave it a good review. I think Hollywood Reporter gave it a good review. I think right now it's at 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, and as more more reviews are going to come in, but the, based on the first six reviews, it was at like 83%. Yeah. And of course, and now it's at 70, it'll probably drop down to 60. But when you're talking about 60%, 70%, you are into what I would refer to as real movie territory. <laughs> when you're at 15%, 20% maybe, which is what so many of these other movies are. Yeah. You can't even, you can't even begin to compare them. It's not really part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, it is a, it's a separate, it barely, you know, as much as I talk about Christian social drama as a separate genre, it barely registers as like the same medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this film is being talked about as a real movie. And that excites me. Um, do you feel like I was going to ask about this? How do you feel like it, uh, either fits into or just compares or contrasts with the Christian social drama films? I did have that thought. Um, I think it's, I think it fits to a certain point. Um, I do think that there, I think we have an emblem in his, his board, 
his uh, his board with all the pictures oh, on okay. it. Keeps returning back. Keeps returning to it. It's you know. Uh, and then I think there is a mentor character, um, the the L. Scott Caldwell from Lost and other such TV shows and movies, um, who is uh, Leslie's uh, mentor. Um, and then uh, she, she's there to tell her what's it all about. What what's that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad joke. What? Uh, her name's Alfie. Oh, I forgot yeah. her name because I was go. like. You talking about Leslie? That's not Alfie. Oh, her name. Oh, the, the mentor's name is Alfie. Got it. All right. Have you seen the original Alfie? I never have. It's really good. I need to see it. Um, but, uh, you know, there is a, a conversion scene. Um, I think it's actually a really well done conversion scene. Um, and while there is not an extended denouement, there is in a way because you've got like cards on screen saying here's how successful Lee Strobel was uh, and and still is. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it fits in completely. Um, I think it probably goes out of its way to not fit in too much with these other things. Um, you don't really get a lot of, you don't get a lot of oppression except maybe you do. Because yeah, you could say that she does from him. Exactly. He's officially the lead. But because he's skeptical this whole time, he doesn't really have to put up with that type of oppression. His mm -hmm. mentor makes little jokes here and there, but Lee just laughs along with them because he agrees with them. But yeah. if you want to see her as a co-lead, and I think she's probably more supporting, but she she has a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Like she has to live in a in a house with someone that is often openly mocking of her. And that's, I mean, that's the exact same oppression as in war room. Yeah, that's true. And so, uh, so I think it probably fits enough. Um, there aren't from a, from, from a, a camera angle standpoint and the idea of like using the, the old church with the pews. I don't recall, there is an old church, but we see more of like a church office that like has archives and stuff. Yeah. But I don't recall there being. There are definitely shots inside the church where you see stained glass windows and all okay. that stuff. Yeah, and I guess she does take him to a church service, mm -hmm. um, but I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of details about the sanctuary itself. I don't remember if the they're sitting on old pews or anything. The church like that. that she goes to seems more like a modern type yeah. church. It's, I, I believe it it's Willow pews. I can't remember. I believe it's Willow Creek outside of Chicago, where I, uh, oh, my maybe. wife and I went to like a financial workshop there once. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's huge. It's a definitely. A, it has become a mega church yeah. since then. Uh, back then, it was. It had. It a didn't few look hundred. that huge in the no. movie, but. Um. So yeah, there's there is a modern quality to it. So I think it. I think it overlaps enough that I would probably. I'd probably count it, but it definitely is. You know, I don't think it's. I don't think it's directly steering into it. Um, but it definitely to me, the big the when I was talking about Christian social drama, like I really hit on the idea that that emblem idea is what I really came away with. And he does keep going to that board. And it's not merely that he is digesting this information as we are. He has to like write it on this board and connect it. And even though we're not allowed to like really examine it, what's conveyed is that look at all this evidence. Like it is just, 
this board is, is now absolutely covered with evidence. Like, what are you going to do? Deny all of that? Like, that's the vibe that I mm-hmm. get. Um, so, uh, now we should uh, move on. I do want to talk about some of the uh, performances. I think uniformly, I think this cast is, is pretty great. I'm, I'm on board with pretty much all that they are saying, all that they are doing. Uh, the actors playing, you know, the experts, they have a very difficult role to play because they have to be there in one scene. They have to deliver a lot of information and not see, and they need to appear as though they exist beyond this scene. Mm -hmm. They're not simply the delivery device for information. Um, and so I, but I'll talk about Mike Vogel who plays Lee Strobel and Erica Christensen who plays Leslie Strobel. I think that obviously the film hinges on their believability Mm-hmm. and not merely individually, but also together, you know, after a certain point, if you've been married for a while, you do sort of exist, not as a function of the other person, but there's definitely, you, you're definitely hinged together. Yeah. And I feel like whether they're arguing or whether they're getting along, I definitely feels like, it feels like, um, like they've been together a while. They are familiar yeah. with each other. Yeah. It definitely feels like that. And what is the, you watched it today. Mm-hmm. What is the line that they say to each other? It's like, it's like you and only you or something like that. Is yeah. That what it's you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like that. Something that is meant. And that's the other thing. Something that is, no, oh, I wish I remember the line. It's like, it's not that, but it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that they clearly say out of affection for one another. Uh But then as things start to fall apart, it's something that is that Lee, especially like throws at her. Yeah. This idea that, Oh, this is what we used to be. And now you're doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. And, and so moments like that, which can be put down to the writing as well. It just, I feel like it manages to sidestep so many, so many, problem uh areas because anytime in any movie christian or otherwise where you have a line that's repeated and then it's repeated for maximum dramatic effect <laughs> ugh, i have no patience <laughs> for it but this definitely it feels like something they have said to each other mm-hmm. jen and i have things that we've said to each other over and over over the years mm-hmm. they have meaning for us yeah and so um and if things were bad like really bad it might be the idea of this thing that we say to each other and just like it, it starts to become bitter. Um, and so I feel like the, the writer uses that really well. Uh, another thing that I really like is that the, the Leslie character is not super articulate about her faith because it's still very new to her. I love that. Yeah. I think that's good. She doesn't exactly know how to explain it. And, um, yeah, she does a she does a good job of conveying somebody who's trying to figure this out enough to explain it to someone else. Yeah, which is not easy. It isn't. I mean, you and I have been Christian for a very long time. We were raised in uh, we were both raised in the church, and there are times when I have a hard time explaining it mm-hmm. to someone. Um, yeah, and but I also like that as she tries to explain it, she it's not merely that she stumbles around. Sometimes she says stuff that is not a not objectively wrong but definitely not the thing to say. Yeah. Like when she says something to the effect of, 
you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Well, to say that to your spouse, who you have a child with. I think she says something like it's the realest thing. Yes. It feels feels more real than anything I've ever experienced or something. And he, I would say somewhat understandably is like, oh, well, gosh, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. And she immediately was like, that's not, that's not what I meant. And what I like is that his offense does not seem totally unwarranted. Mm -hmm. And when she says, no, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. Like, I don't think we're meant to automatically side with her. It's like, Hey, no, that's not what she meant. You know what she meant. He doesn't know what she meant. And Mm -hmm. she probably doesn't either. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. And it specifically hits on something that he said earlier to the daughter, which is that as atheists, we believe in what's real. Yes. And it really, um, so moments like that, I think are really powerful. And then also when Leslie is talking to her mentor, you know, you would, in a lesser movie, the mentor would say like, just keep doing what you're doing. But no, she's like, no, you're probably not listening. Mm-hmm. And the idea of in a Christian film, they are telling the Christian character that we should listen to the non-Christian character, the, the, I'd say the aggressively non-Christian character mm-hmm. and see what, and try to hear like, well, what are their objections and ha- and what could I be doing better? Mm-hmm. That's unheard of yeah. in a movie like this. Flip side is that Lee's character, he also has a mentor who is also an atheist and, and makes his own jokes. And he also says, well, look, you know, when it comes down to it, she is your wife and you mm-hmm. gotta, you gotta love her. You gotta take care of her. So now you have, you have Christians being told that you're probably not doing things right. And then you have atheists giving good advice. Mm. Th- this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> like I can't, as much as people come away from, you know, understandably so people come away from God's not dead, just thinking like, oh, okay, well I'm an atheist and I think, I guess this movie hates me. I can't quite tell. <laughs> I don't think that someone could come away from this film that a non-Christian could come away from this film saying like this, that these characters, this director, this writer, they have disdain for me. Mm. I don't think that's actually the case. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But again, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't want to speak for non-Christians. I mean, I've been in this, I'm in too deep, Josh. <laughs> um, but I will say that uh, in his one scene, Robert Forrester brings a fair amount of gravity mm-hmm. to his role. Um Faye Dunaway does what she can. Uh, she's an older actress, and uh, but I think she she has to say some weighty things that might be a bit too on the nose, but I think she does okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just all around, I I I like this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. I'm not sure if I would even say I really like it, but I do like this movie, and that is a triumph uh, mm-hmm. in this genre. <laughs> so. Um, now, I do want to quickly move to our companion film. I was trying to think of what we could pair with it. I was thinking JFK. It's like, no, no, I've already done that. Um, and then I I settled on um, 12 Angry Men, which uh, is a film that we've talked about, but never in this capacity. We talked about it because it's one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, so directed by Sidney Lumet in 1957, uh, it's got a wonderful cast. It's uh, based on a teleplay, and it has been turned, unsurprisingly, into a stage play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about this jury um, of men who are who are uh, have 
listen to this this murder case in which this young boy is accused of murdering his father. And it seems pretty open and shut. There's a lot of evidence, you know, against this kid. And so the initial vote is 11 guys vote guilty. And then one guy played by Henry Fonda says, well, hang on a minute. I don't know if that's actually true. Or or he might he ultimately says, like, yeah, the kid probably is guilty, but I, I just need a moment. I, I want to reexamine all this evidence and just see what we think. And so he he stands his ground and slowly but surely he starts winning people over. Not that people think the kid is not guilty or, or certainly that they don't think he's innocent, but that the evidence actually doesn't lend itself to a, a natural guilty verdict. And so there's, there's a line where another, uh, another juror says it's not, it's not easy to stand alone against the ridicule of others. And so as we talk about evidence here, um, you know, some people might think, well, wait, are you talking about the evidence presented in the case for Christ and people shouldn't be swayed by that? Uh, sure. Why not? No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that, you know, so many people, uh, in, that Lee and so many other people in his life just take for granted that Christianity is, it's a myth, it's a nice story, but it's not true. Um, and then, and admittedly, he, you know, it takes him a while to, to fall, uh, as well and, and say, you know what, actually, I think this might be true. Um, and it's just going bit by bit like he does in, in 12 Angry men, they're going like one piece of evidence by another. And then looking at the two, looking at how they are linked and well, maybe if they're linked, then the falsehood of this one means that this other one is also false. And along those lines, the way Lee is going from one expert to another and saying like, okay, this expert says that actually there is evidence for the historical Jesus and that there's evidence that he rose from the dead. Okay. Well, that's all well and good, but I now need to seek out like a medical expert or a psychological expert or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he goes from one to the other until he literally, there's nothing left. Mm -hmm. And along those lines in 12 Angry Men, like it's such a well-written, such a well-written film because they make it very clear in the first few minutes, here is all the evidence. And they don't even really present it that way. But it's like, okay, here are all the major points. I could list them for you right now. <laughs> this is all this is all the evidence that it that points to this this boy's guilt. And then slowly but surely, um, it gets knocked down, or at least it gets doubted. Um and so uh and along the way, you actually find that not all of these characters are as objective as they can be. Yeah. And some of them are, you know. The character that I find maybe most interesting is E.G. Marshall, who's juror number four. He's he's a stockbroker and he wears glasses. He's a very prim and proper logical man. And he he holds on. He's like one of the last three uh, that think this kid is absolutely guilty. There's no question in my mind about it. And the other two, one of is a, one is a full on bigot and the other is brings a lot of his own personal issues. And so the logic minded guy is siding with these two, but he, for his own reasons. And when it comes right down to it, when he is presented with like, all right, the eyewitness, the person that says she saw him do it, her eyesight is now in question. All right. 
I'm saying not guilty. Like he is about as objective as you can get. He's the kind of juror you actually want. <laughs> um, but so many of these other characters, whether they are inclined to vote guilty or not guilty, they're bringing so much of themselves into it. Um, and in talking about the case for Christ, you have this guy who, who talks about, well, he's a, he's an investigative journalist. He's a reporter. So it's all about facts and objective facts, but like everybody, he has an opinion of, of what life means and what his life has looked like and what it should look like and what he wants it to look like in the future. And you start to wonder how much of his resistance is about like this. If I believe this, if I believe there's a God, it's going to change my whole life. Mm. Uh, it has to change my, ent my entire outlook. And then if there's, if, if there's in fact, uh, Jesus and that he rose from the dead and he's all of this stuff, that's going to change it even more. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm somebody who, I'm successful in my field. I've got a, I have a, a wife and now two children. Like I'm doing really well. And if I start believing this other stuff, none of that might not, none of that might be worth anything or at least not worth what I thought it was. Mm. Now he never comes out and says that. And I'm happy about that, but I see it in the performance and I see it like he, he's, he's so resistant to it. E.G. Marshall, juror number four in in uh, Twelve Angry Men, he's not aggressively uh, opposed to this, mm -hmm. and he is. You know how can he be? He's just thinking in terms of facts and yeah. and and what's being presented to him. And so when you see somebody that is this resistant, this actively resistant, you start to wonder. Okay, well, hang on a minute. Like, what else is there? What else is there? And so. You know, the appropriately, uh, you've got Lee Strobel, and then the and then juror number three is played by Lee J. Cobb. What? That is not why I chose this as the companion <laughs> film. Just a bonus. That can't be coincidental. Exactly. You know what? I think I should write my own book at this point. Uh, it's just like so. God led me towards Twelve Angry Men. I realize it sounds like I'm I'm now mocking God, um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's ultimately this idea of, of Lee J. Cobb, he has his own issues with his, with his son yeah, and the relationship between the boy on trial and the father that he's accused of killing resonates with the final juror and he has a breakdown and then he finally says not guilty, not unlike, you know, Lee finally has this moment where he says, all right, God, you win. And it's just kind of a, it's kind of a breakdown. And I like that the film does not treat that as inherently triumphant. I think it's triumphant and the film will eventually think it is that, but in this moment it is taking its emotional cue from him and he doesn't feel the freedom yet. He doesn't feel the elation that can come with, oh my gosh, I just tapped into something that is eternal and something bigger than me. Mm -hmm. It's more just... Everything that I thought I was, everything that I thought I knew is gone now, and I don't know what to replace it with. And yeah. it really is a moment of of exhaustion, and and I like the restraint on the part of the actor, on the part of the director, to not shoot this, you know, to shoot that scene from, like, overhead, like, God yeah. looking down and, like, a light beams light on him. Down. Yeah. 
and so, um, so I've got a, there are a few, um, a few quotes from 12 angry men that, uh, that I wanted to talk about because I, what with case for Christ being such a new movie, I don't have a lot of the quotes in front of me. Um, so this is a, a line that uh, Henry Fonda says, he says, it's always difficult to keep personal prejudice out of a thing like this. And wherever you run into it, prejudice always obscures the truth. I don't really know what the truth is. I don't suppose anybody will ever really know. Nine of us now seem to feel that the defendant is innocent, but we're just gambling on probabilities. We may be wrong. We may be trying to let a guilty man go free. I don't know. Nobody really can. But we have a reasonable doubt, and that and that's something that's very valuable in our system. No jury can declare a man guilty unless it's sure. Now, if you look at what he's saying, there's a lot of uh, hemming and hawing, in a way. Mm-hmm. He's saying, like... We don't think he's guilty, but we're not really sure. How can you really be sure in a moment like this? But they're moving ahead. And he's saying, like, we could be letting a guilty man go free, but I don't think so. So they're proceeding with a not guilty verdict. And they're proceeding, if you'll pardon me, they'll, they're proceeding from a place of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You know, and so, like, when, you, when you're saying, like, we may be wrong, we may be trying to do this thing that is bad, I don't know, but we have a reasonable doubt... And in this case, a reasonable doubt is we have enough faith in our own assessment of the evidence that we can move forward. Hmm. Um, and so, but then I, there's there's another line where um, uh, Henry Fonda is like his his sort of second in command of sorts is this older gentleman that is sitting right next to him, and and he is uh, trying to give support and he's trying to he's trying to speak his piece and and some of the other jurors are just not listening to him. And he says, he says, I'm talking here. You have no right to, you know, walk away. And Henry Fonda says, uh, they can't hear you. They never will. And, you know, that's a pretty tough thing to say because that idea of they never will that sound. I remember that line always strikes me as a little bit judgmental. Hmm. Um, but honestly, in that moment, when you're trying to give a sincere plea and people are just turning their backs on you, um, it seems pretty callous. And what's interesting is that people actually later on in 12 Angry Men, they turn their back to somebody who is spewing bigotry. And in retrospect, I'm not sure what I think about that. Hmm. You know, it's a big display that they are turning their backs. They're saying we are no longer listening. And as I've gotten it, you know, when I was younger, I thought like, that's an amazing thing. But as I've gotten older and I believe more in like an open dialogue, I think there's an understanding like, well, this guy is not going to be convinced. He has come into this courtroom, into this jury room, knowing he's going to convict this kid just because of what he is and where he's from. So since he's probably not going to listen to us, we're not going to listen to him. That's what I think I've come, the conclusion I've come to. But the idea of turning your back on anybody, whether it be the old man early on or the bigot later on, I don't know. It's something that I feel like is, is a very dramatic gesture. And one that I'd say is I'd be, I'd always be reluctant to, to do, Hmm. uh, to make. So I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that does go against the idea of open dialogue and, uh, I feel like with the political climate that we're in now, it kind of feels more, wrong to do that because it seems like uh, a lot of people have gotten to a point where if somebody disagrees with them on one basic 
principle or even identifies with the wrong group, then they're not to be listened to anymore. I think that's the thing is this is a guy who is actively saying like, this is our chance to get one of these guys, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, and he's always, he's always been throughout the whole movie. He's talking about like, you know, what this guy, what this boy is, you know, it's, it's very poisonous and it's very toxic. Um, and so to a certain degree, I understand why they would turn away from him. But I think where the, where the issue comes that I think you're, that I think you're talking about is that when you take this attitude that, well, bigotry does not deserve a voice, it doesn't deserve to be listened to, then the next step is whether you're aware of it or not, the next step is anything I don't like is going to be, is now bigotry. Mm -hmm. Everything I don't like is now hate speech and I shouldn't listen to any of it. And it's like, you know, it's how people can accuse Ben Shapiro of white supremacy. Well, Ben Shapiro, as you might be able to tell from his name is a practicing Jew and he has gotten, and because he was reluctant to support Trump, a lot of like alt-right people like came at him very specifically and said horrible things to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, because he does not automatically side with every social justice thing, uh, people say, like, you're a white supremacist. And if I'm him, I'm just like, I guess I can't win. Um, and so it's it's and because they because he's been labeled that whenever he gives it, you know, if he gives a speech, people will stand up and and shout and try to shout him down. And it's just like you're, it's not merely that you're not listening. You're trying to make it so that nobody else can hear. Yeah. And that is particularly horrible. And so. When I look at that in 12 Angry Men, like it is a right, it is a righteous thing that like, we don't want to give this person a platform, but at the same time, he's one of the 12. He, it's arguable whether he should have been in that jury room. It's, well, I think yeah. it speaks to how poorly, I think it speaks to, honestly, I, I really, think, what that movie about is poor jury selection process. Well, they, they do put effort into, into making the point that the boy's lawyer is not good. Mm, and is true. a public attorney and actually didn't put a lot of effort into the case. And, and a lot of stuff slipped by and the lawyer didn't say anything. So my guess is just like, yeah, this, this guy's acceptable. It's fine. <laughs> um, for example, one could say the fact that there are 12 men in that room, mm-hmm. men by and large tend to vote more in, in favor of justice. And they tend to be a little bit less in the jury room. It's been, it's been proven a little bit less compassionate. Hmm. So let's get 12 of them on there. Like that's insane. Yeah. Uh, that is a lawyer not doing his job, but anyway, all white also all white. Yes. There is one guy who is, who is, uh, uh from Europe. He's like Hungarian or something. Yeah. Isn't he? Um, uh, played by George Voskovec, um, who I believe is Russian. And so, um, so it, we wound up uh, talking more about that than I thought. But what I will say <laughs> is that, um, you know, in, in putting these movies together um, and putting together what we're talking about, it's really listening to other people's points of view. Um, that's something that, that uh, the, the mentor character in Case for Christ says, like, well, you're not really listening to your husband. Lee is being kind of a jerk and is being very dismissive mm-hmm. of Leslie's faith. But she still has to listen yeah. because he's her husband. She's his wife. They love each other. And he's being a jerk. Absolutely. But he, 
she loves him. And then the, and then Lee's, uh, Lee's, uh, mentor says, yeah, you got to listen to her as well. Like Mm -hmm. now, obviously what we believe is ultimately the most important thing, but also our relationships are very important as well as some of the Bible verses that I'm going to get to in a moment, uh, can attest. And so I do want to mention one thing before we move on. Um, so as I mentioned, the AV club, uh, gave the film a C plus, which is a, as I said, a, a rave for movies like this in the AV club. I, uh, scrolled on down to the comments as I tend to do. Um, and unsurprisingly, the comments were horrible. Uh, they were very smug. They're very smarmy. And it was people that obviously hadn't seen the movie, you know, it had just come out. And my mm-hmm. guess is not all these people went to see it. Instead, they're bashing Pure Flix, they're bashing this movie, they're bashing Lee Strobel, they're bashing literally everything. And so um, I find myself, I found myself very frustrated. Um, and I guess I understand why this is a film, it's called The Case for Christ. It is about uh, a character who is atheist and then is faced with all this evidence and just can't help but become a Christian. Um, and I'm sure there are any number of, of atheists that would look at that evidence and say, well, what about this? What about that? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody that believes there can be an airtight case made for the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, I think that there is a much better case that, uh, that can be made than people are willing to admit, but I don't think there is such a thing as an airtight case. Um, and so... I think people just saw like, okay, it's pure flicks. This is a film that, that is very much about atheism and coming to, uh, coming out of that. And so I think they're a little bit hostile towards it. And, and this is, but it was the way in which they were hostile. And I found myself real like cringing and getting angry. And I had this thought of, now, of course, they're not saying any of this stuff to me, um, but I had this thought of like, you know, I am not somebody that just buys blindly into Christian film. Uh, this show is pretty much a testament to that, and neither are you. Mm-hmm. We have put, we've devoted hours and hours <laughs> to talking about why these movies are often quite horrible. Um, but at the same time, I calls them like I sees them. Risen was pretty good. I really liked Believe Me. Um, And this movie is pretty good. But for people to, who who were never going to like it, you know, they, even if they see the movie, I think they're going to be looking for every problem with it, Mm -hmm. which I guess is understandable, but they would never do that with JFK. You know, they would never do that with, uh, with 12 angry men. They would never say like, well, well, hang on a minute, Henry Fonda. What about this? You know, mm-hmm. um, they're honestly not a whole lot different from the Christians who take to Amazon movie reviews to talk about why something's not good because there's violence in it. Absolutely. Or honestly, the, the, the Christians that take to Rotten Tomatoes to rate saving Christmas positively, though they have not yet seen it, <laughs> you know, it's just. We don't like what this thing stands for, and thus, how could it possibly be good? Yeah, and that is, uh, I, I, I hate that. It's, it's really exhausting, and, and I've spent so much time arguing against the flip side, which is, I am in favor of what this movie is saying, thus, it is good. 
I don't like that. And so I don't like the other thing either. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is, you know, one way or another, you don't want to be Ed Bagley. (laughs) You don't want to be the guy who comes into that room with his mind made up and he knows what he's, and you, and he cannot be convinced. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, one way or another. And so uh, if you are a listener and, and we have made the film sound good as a film, whether you're Christian or not, seek it out. And I would love to know what you think. Maybe you, maybe you genuinely don't think it's very good and that's understandable, but at least see the movie. Um, and so, uh, but I did want to talk about some of the, uh, some, some verses that this film made me think about. Um, and I will say actually, uh, this isn't necessarily related to these verses, but, uh, one thing that I, that I came away from the film with as strange as it may sound, cause it seems very obvious Um, so my wife and I tend not to pray together that often. Um, she is not really from a family that like prayed, prayed a lot. So she often felt very uncomfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. And then I not wanting to make her uncomfortable. I tend, tended not to push that. It's something we would do from time to time, but certainly not with any regularity. But then even less regular was me praying for my wife. Hmm. I guess I just sort of always assumed that it's implied, you know? (laughs) Um, And in this film, you have the Leslie character praying for Lee on a regular basis and only for him. Hmm. And she's alone. It's not like she's gathering her friends together and saying, let's pray for my husband. No, yeah, it's just her. It's just her and God. And I I found myself thinking like, I don't do that. And I I don't do that. I tend not to do that for really any individuals, you know, any of my friends or anything like that. I will, they will be part of the larger list that I'm praying for, but to sit down and purposefully, purposefully pray for one person, um, is something it's that I don't do. And to think that I don't do that for my wife, like it's a, that it convicted me a little bit. And so (laughs) it's like, all right, that's, that's something I can get out of this movie uh, as a Christian. And so, uh, so I did want to want to talk about some of this. So, you know, the case for Christ and the reason for God and all these other books that, you know, mere Christianity, orthodoxy, whatever, mm-hmm. they all fall into apologetics. And um, we've talked about it before, but I have a number of verses to read here um, because I would, I would recommend that, pe- that Christians read these books because yes, the Bible is enough, but, you, but as we see from Lee Strobel's story, it wasn't the Bible itself that convinced him. It mm-hmm. was this other stuff. Yeah. And so you never quite now when it comes right down to it, you have to, you're going to have to fall back on the Bible, but mm-hmm. you never quite know what God's going to use. So it might not hurt to have a bunch of tools in the old toolbox. Yeah. A lot of arrows in the quiver. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so first Peter verse three verses, sorry, chapter three verses 15 and 16 uh, I believe we actually mentioned this during the Hacksaw Ridge episode. Hmm. Um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that gets back to this idea that we're talking about with Leslie and her reaction mm, to right. Lee. Uh, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Uh, and then 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Do you want to read that? Sure. All right. 
says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I so, I so often uh, forget about that passage. It's something that I think is, is very interesting, especially because there's so many different denominations of Christianity, and then there are so many different versions of Christianity. And many of them will say like, yes, yes, the Bible is just a bunch of fun stories. And it's like, okay, so wait, what are you? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and I don't mean to, to be overly judgmental or overly dismissive, but it, this does say, yeah, this will happen. People that will, they will gather around the, gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Yeah. I would say that by and large, whether you're a Christian or otherwise, but like any religion that somehow manages to coincide with what you already think and want, be suspicious. Yeah. Um, so, uh, second Corinthians 10 verse five, uh, I like the phrasing of this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience, uh, obedient to Christ. Now that idea of taking captive to make obedient, it might be, uh, jarring to people and it's understandable, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, you know, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. I mean, I hate to say it. Look, I don't mean to say the Bible isn't enough. Obviously, the Bible is enough to tell you the type of Christian you need to be and to tell you what the truth is. But it never hurts to know more and it never hurts to dig deeper than into like, you know, whether it could be like an archaeological thing. It could be, mm -hmm. you know, basically a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in the case for Christ. Um so that when somebody comes at you, you are in a position to demolish their argument. Now, <laughs> that's that's getting dangerous. You know, I'm not going to condemn the Bible here, but that's getting dangerously <laughs> close to like the the YouTube thing. It's like so so and so destroys this person's <laughs> argument, and then you watch. It's like this was a mild disagreement at best. Um, so uh, Luke six. Okay, so here's here's the deal. So we're talking about like you need to arm yourself. You need to. Uh, equip yourself with, with the tools, the intellectual tools. And I'd say the communication tools with which to talk with the, the people that don't agree with you and you need to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, and that gets us into this next uh, section, Luke six verses 27 through 31. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, uh, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, fairly self-explanatory, but it is worth noting that I'm interested. I feel like this is not a an element of Christianity that we really embrace very much hmm. anymore. Um, I think we're very quick to defend ourselves. Yeah. Ourselves. Mm -hmm. Not the faith. But I think like if somebody, if somebody were to, for example, and this is a hypothetical that I've probably lived. <laughs> um, if somebody were to say Christianity is stupid. Now I think they're incorrect, 
but I will often proceed as though they had said Christianity is stupid. And thus you, Tyler Smith are also stupid. (laughs) I usually, and then that second one is usually the one that hurts more. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and so if I'm, so ultimately what's happening is my pride is being wounded. Right. And if you're proceeding from a place of wounded pride, it's not, your tone is going to be noticeably different. Whereas if it's, there is a truth that I believe in that this person doesn't, but this truth existed before me. It's bigger than me. It doesn't need me. I will defend that truth. I feel like, I feel like the pride, it won't necessarily go away, but I definitely feel like you'll be coming more from a place of humility. Um, but I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent true, but I feel like it's, examining yourself and examining why you're what you're defending is probably a good idea before you open your mouth. Yeah, definitely. Um, along those lines, first Corinthians 13 verses one through three, Josh, I'll let you read that. There might be typos in this. Sorry. Okay. I'll keep an eye out. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, you know, you can have, you can, okay, so obviously the nature of this podcast, we believe, we have a very specific idea of what the truth is. We believe that there is a God, that he is a creator and a personal God. Uh, We believe that uh, we are by our very nature, separate from him, uh, we're going to do our own thing. And that either as a function of punishment or just the natural consequence, like we cannot be reconciled to God because of our nature. And so God chose to reconcile himself to us by making himself one of us so that when he is eventually punished, it is for sins that we committed because he didn't commit any, otherwise he'd be dying for his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that death is not the end because Jesus was man and God and God cannot be killed. One could say God is not dead. Um, <laughs> and so Jesus rose from the grave and thus the consequences of sin, the punishment of sin is not the end that there is, rebirth and there is perpetual forgiveness and there is grace and all of that and that justice has been done already. Okay. So that is what we believe. That's pretty lofty stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and let's say we were able to prove it beyond a shadow of the, de- uh, of a doubt, a hundred percent, no faith needed. Thank you. <laughs> let's say we we're able to prove that it would be very easy to approach somebody who still doesn't believe it with a smug attitude. It's like, you don't believe that or, or a particularly dismissive or, or judgmental attitude. Mm. But the more we believe this is the truth, the more we should accept that we need love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And so, It's not merely, oh, we should listen to other people. That's very easy to say. This is, the more we accept this as true, the more we should be slow to talk. The more we should listen to people beyond and let them insult us. Let them verbally slap us uh, again (laughs) after they've done it once. Um, 
That's not to say you don't speak up, but you let them go as far as they need to go. And then maybe by letting them talk and by letting them be heard, because there are plenty of Christians out there that won't let them be heard, that that might be enough for them. They might not like convert or anything like that, but you might differentiate yourself. And then the person might ask, why is this person different? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And, and it's something that, that comes about towards the end of the film where Lee looks at Leslie and is like, despite all of this, you never really gave up on me. You kept loving me. Why, yeah. why did, why did you do that? And so, um, so yeah, there, and that's, there's, there's a lot of great stuff in this movie. The movie itself is not great, but it is good. Mm. And sometimes it is very good and it is very effective. And I, as a film goer and as a Christian got a lot out of it. And so if you are a Christian, I would say, and I don't say this very often, go and see this movie. It needs to make more money. Mm, yeah. Um, so that they know, you know, you don't want pure flicks looking and say like, well, look, we tried this, uh, we tried this real movie <laughs> thing. It didn't work. So you know what? God's not dead three. We're going to go back to what we know. And that movie is still being made, but, uh, you know, maybe it'll be made better. Ugh, I don't know. That's tough. We'll That's taller. Um, so if you're a Christian, seek this movie out and, yeah. and, and enjoy and maybe get something out of it. If you're not a Christian, I would love to know what you think of this movie. So I'd encourage you to go see it as well. I'm not telling you to see God's Not Dead. I'm not telling you to see War Room. I am saying, see the case for Christ and not because I'm looking to convert you, but because I want to know what you think. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we'll go ahead and leave it there. I'm excited I'm excited to be talking about a, a Christian movie that is good. It is refreshing. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. We will leave it there. Uh, if you have any comments, again, please do leave them in this uh, in the comment section of this post at morethanonelesson.com. Um, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long, as I like to call it. <laughs> um And then you can also like us on Facebook. And I would also like to reiterate two more days to contribute to my Kickstarter. I'm very excited about this book. I'm excited with the people's support and what I'm able to do with it. I'm able to put out a better book than I was planning on putting out. And so, um, so any, for people that have supported me already, thank you so much. Uh, and then for people that are thinking about it, uh, please do admittedly I'm biased, So let me turn to an unbiased source. Hey, Josh, do you think people should contribute to this Kickstarter? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's Josh, who cannot be bothered to really do anything. Nope. He can barely keep his eyes open right now. (laughs) You look very tired. I just remembered that I was up at seven this morning. I Mm. forgot about that. Why were you up so early? I had to take my wife to the airport. Oh, your wife's not around. Mm. Watch out. Cat's away. (laughs) This mice is going to play. This mouse is going to play. This mice is going to play. So anyway, uh, okay. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode, Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.